Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. To actually try and figure out how it is you can get the best outcome possible using the levers you have, and remuneration is one of those levers, and reporting to your shareholders because shareholders really like it if their companies make them feel proud of being a part owner. You know, I own shares of that, it's contributing to society as well as contributing to my superannuation or wealth hopes in the future. G'day, and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. 2023 was the year of the good, the bad, the difficult (laughs) and the ugly on the Australian share market. Joining me for a look back over some of the companies monitored by the Australian Shareholders Association is Fiona Balzer, the Policy and Advocacy Manager. G'day, Fiona. G'day, Phil. Thanks very much for coming back in. It's great to have you live in the studio. Yeah, love to come. (laughs) And we were just talking so much interesting stuff before we hit record, so hopefully we can recapture that magic. It's been another interesting year. They're all always interesting years, though, aren't they, on the ASX? Are there any overarching themes that stood out for you that you've identified? Yeah, the ASA, Australian Shareholders Associations, we've seen a number of themes emerge. Just one comment, though, on your, you know, we have good years and we have bad years. If the market's going well and everybody feels secure in their income, things are a lot more sanguine and everything tends to go well. You know, mm. Rising tide lifts all the boats. I think as now we've got the cost of living worries and you know whether you can get a mortgage, whether your house goes up, you start worrying more about will I ever be able to retire and people are much more critical about what the company's doing 
and where they're going. And it's but it's also been a year where, like, in terms of share price, not in terms of governance, the share prices have been up, have been down, they've been up and they've been down. And then it's kind of like over the year it's been flat, really, basically. But it's just been very hard to hold your nerve. I think this year. I think too, we're a bit more in a risk off market. We have mm. risk on markets. We have risk off markets, and. The likes of, and I'll talk about CSL's AGM a little bit later, they were often priced for perfection. And we're going through a period where it's like, that is such a high PE. Not really sure I'm confident. Oh, look, there's a drug that's going to lower the need for one of their kidney products. Oh, dear, I'm just going to push the price down. So, you know, the price has been up to 360, I think, in the last two years, and now it's got a two in front of it instead. And yet that Ozempic drug, like now people have started to die on it. People have suddenly reflected, hey, drugs don't work like that. They don't universally solve every problem immediately. And so the price is bumping off the bottom, but we're still feeling that people are pricing every, all the good in and they're not willing to pay up for all the good. But people are trying to, I think, flip between the good and the bad. So we're seeing tech stocks, you know, bounce around as well. Mm. And, you know, with the AGM season, one of the things we see is companies update you on their first quarter. It's also a good time to talk to your shareholders about strategy. So when you say they update you on the first quarter, is it the first quarter of this current financial year or the previous financial year? <laughs> okay. So... Sometimes people don't twig to the fact that if you have a year end of 30th of June, yep. you have to give all your results out in August. By end of August, got five months to hold your AGM. So by the time you get to the AGM, you've already seen the trading for up to the end of September. And so that's the quarter we mean that, you know, July, August, September, some companies... In the current financial in the year current in which financial the AGM year. is being held. Yeah, so... The companies will give you an update on how that's gone, but also may amend their guidance if they gave guidance in August as well. You know, how we thought things were looking three months ago. Now we actually have three months of figures that, you know, have all come into the centre and all been added up. So that's Mm. the first quarter that we talk of. And that's why share prices often jump around at the AGM. It's not so much that you didn't like the cut of the chair's jib, it's can be that the guidance has even been mo- either been modified or just doesn't have that confidence behind it in the way the company's talked about it. So that will drive the share price. And what we're really seeing now is the previous years, we've had companies talking about supply chain and you know, difficulty getting product in or even capital expenditure, you know, can you get all the builders and the like? Whereas now we're really seeing cost of living effects on the retail consumer of whatever product it is and the impact of inflation. And how is the company going to react to that slightly changed dynamic? Mm. So another thing that I've noticed, and we talked with uh, Rachel, the CEO, about this, is that there have been some safety issues in a number of companies and mm. um, you know people have been killed and injured in workplaces. What have you been seeing in this industrial space? Yeah, that's been the, I think, a new feature. We don't often see deaths in industrial companies. And, you know, one of them was Woolworths. So a big retailer, it's not what you would expect, but they had a cleaner who was crushed by a piece of equipment that all has investigations to go. So I have no insight to the actual detail, but in the mining companies where people were dying at unacceptable rates over the past 10 years, they have really managed to reduce that by being really blunt 
got really blunt, people have died. Safety is crucial. We don't get a second go around. So by being really open about that and impacting the remuneration of your executives, like basically if somebody dies on your watch, whether or not you're found to be at fault, obviously fault is a bigger issue, but it can be that you have your remuneration cut pending the investigation to make sure that there was absolutely no way of working around that person having that incident. And, you know, it can be down to what policies you have and processes. It can be how you force people to apply those policies and processes, even though they might be inconvenient. It could be your, your shift, the way you manage shift. All those things, the company has to take it really seriously because everybody should come home from work as they left mm. to, to go there in that morning or afternoon. So we have seen that and the likes of Woolworths were punished a bit for the proxy advisors, for example, not thinking that they had taken enough steps to put on hold the remuneration. Although typically in the mining stocks, it is about a 10% or 20% impact beyond what is often built into the framework. So we'll often see that any incidences do have a 20% impact. If you have a death, that gets wiped. But then companies quite often will go, well, needs to be more significant than that. So we'll take money from other things that you've done well. We'll just take another 10%. Mm. But it's really important, I think, rather than doing the blame game to actually try and figure out how it is you can get the best outcome possible using the levers you have. And remuneration is one of those levers and reporting to your shareholders because shareholders really like it if their companies make them feel proud of being a part owner. You know, I own shares of that. It's contributing to society as well as contributing to my superannuation or wealth hopes in the future. So talking about it is really important as well, which is why we highlight it. So the dynamic behind that, that forced management to take more care for their workers, did that come from shareholder pressure or was it internally driven? I think I'd have to say all of the the above, it would be the people representing the workers, the law yes. firms, the executives, the directors Price. saying, I do not feel good about, you know, the person who has to tell someone that, you know, they're not going home. So I think it's everyone, but the shareholders are being quite clear that you have a remuneration framework, which helps you drive the culture of your business and set up what people are worrying about. Because it can be, some of these safety concerns, it can be that you have to almost step back and say, well, I can't see how I contributed to the problem, but is there anything we can all do to make this not happen, to make it better? And that thing about safety, where sometimes safety equipment slows things down and a company is saying, but you need to meet your quota. And this is, I'm thinking of incidents of decades gone by, but you have to meet your quota. You can't meet your quota because you feel like the safety equipment's slowing you down. You remove the safety equipment. What you want the company to realise is they were the ones pushing for the quota. They have to figure a better productivity measure because it has to be, you have to meet your quota, but you remove the safety equipment. You know, no quote, we don't care what your quota is. You're not getting a reward on that. 
So it's, you know, mindset, bringing that mindset and culture in, which is what your framework can do, because you might feel like, but hang on, I don't even know that person or that district. Like, well, you need to watch out for your fellow workers. So all about culture, everybody has a part to play and shareholders, as we've seen with remuneration and other things, if they do put their attention to it in a public way that the company can't resolve from, you do get change. And wasn't that a situation, I think, was it with Endeavour? Is that where one of the deaths occurred and that, that there that was is. the remuneration report was seen to be still too generous considering someone died? Yes, and that one's a tricky one as well. You know, it's a whole of community issue mm. as far as I know. There is that additional difficulty that the investigation's not final and this is where the mining companies do better. They say, well, it's no fault us when we say, we're reducing by this amount. We're not saying it's fault, so you can go and do your proper investigation. What we're saying is until we've got this fault all figured out, everything's on hold. And it's like I think, and we saw that in COVID where people reduce their remuneration, that sometimes you lose money not because it's your fault but because it's the right thing to do to wait, to have patience, to say, Let's see what happens next. Other people are doing it tough. Obviously, the families are doing it tough. You know, you just have to take some pain for the period until it's all worked out what happened, where the fault was, could you have done it better? And the big thing is that coming out of that is figure out how it doesn't happen again. Mm. Okay, so I know that one of the things that grinds the gears of the Shareholders Association is AGMs and whether they should be hybrid, you know, the, the combination hybrid, live. Um, there was a number of physical-only AGMs rather than hybrid meetings, which, you know, the ASA, the ASA doesn't look on favourably, to, to put it bats, lightly. <laughs> brick bats to all the companies that do, do that. It is very sad. Mm. And... What is really amazing is that sometimes our largest companies, so Commonwealth Bank... I know. <laughs> ...didn't do a hybrid. And yet CSL, who, when we were engaging with them after the COVID, where we all did virtual, so they'd never done a virtual before, whereas Australian shareholders, we've done five or six. When we were talking with them, they were like, oh, but it's like running two meetings at once. So you only do an AGM once a year can be that your directors and your whole work, all the force that goes into making the AGM, they've got a particular way of doing it that works well for them. They feel it goes well. CSL's like, oh, that'd be like running two meetings. But this year they cracked their first hybrid and we were so pleased. And then we're just so disappointed about CBA and, you know, it's a big company. All these other companies manage to run their hybrids. You have to look it up at up to ensure it's a hybrid because they're so casual. Of course we're having a hybrid. Like, what else would you do? And they run it really well. CBA is still a laggard in that regard. And it does mean that not everybody can participate. So they held their meeting in, I think theirs was in Melbourne as well. I could have it wrong because so many AGMs, 145, like. <laughs> they, all, they all merge they, at this stage. They all blur, they? <laughs> blur when you're managing the people who are attending the meetings mm. but it just is so difficult if you've got mobility issues we've had volunteers who've ended up with COVID and they're not sick so they're like oh I can you know Nextel for example our monitor was actually 
flying in from Queensland on his personal dime because he has shares in it. And he's like, day before got COVID, no flight, but attended online. It's just, you'd expect a data centre, of course, to go hybrid meeting, just makes it so much easier. And actually, as you say, ASA's business is AGMs. When we went through COVID, we were one of the few companies, businesses that could go to ASIC and say, we've been to a couple of hundred virtual meetings. We can not only tell you what the general average experience is, but specific experiences where these ones were really good and these ones were not good. So just having that experience means I think we're better placed to talk about about the AGMs and just enabling that participation is so important. Those meetings can get quite vexed. I think, you know, Qantas, she talked to Rachel about Qantas before Mm. she represented us. That one went on for a long time. It was a hybrid meeting. It just means that people can participate wherever they are. The other negative we see is some of the physical meetings with webcasts, they don't, or audio casts like Metcash and Harvey Norman, you can listen on the phone. Some of the audio is really poor. So that makes it really difficult if your audio is poor to listen and then they don't put a replay up. So you can't even think, oh, do not know what that person was saying, but I'll figure it out later when I listen to the audio. So it really does inhibit the participation of shareholders that if you weren't at the meeting physically, you've only got half a clue as to what went on and you can't make your own judgments about how the company's presenting. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Super is one of the most important investments you'll ever make. But how do you know if you're in the best fund for your situation? Head to lifesherpa.com.au to find out more. LifeSherpa. Australia's most affordable online financial advice. So in terms of decarbonisation and generally ESG, it sounds like there's more standardisation coming into this because there hasn't been standards up until this point. You know, you can sort of label something ESG and it's not necessarily very... Yeah, this Mm. is a good topic to talk about. Mm. It's been a long time coming in part because the standard setters are taking it really seriously. We've had people, companies reporting on environmental and social elements of their company for decades. Historically, some of the large... Decades, really? Yes, (laughs) way back um, (laughs) when I was at Westpac Investment Management, which is where Regnan, which is a company that specialises in this area, evolved. That's where it dated from. It used to be that we saw good management as management that looked to the future and looking to the future was looking at what type of rules you might have, what emissions controls you might have, rather than companies going, that's the business of politicians, we'll figure it out when they give us a law. Companies are often best placed to provide information that helps make those laws. So yeah, 
decades, there's been rules. The large fund managers, I think it was the Commonwealth Superannuation Fund, CSS and PSS, public service, I think that was, they wanted to have sustainable companies because they had 50-year liabilities. So they would go to the company and say, please fill in this questionnaire. And then the next institution that was interested give someone at the company a different questionnaire. So they'd be asking for information that they felt they needed to make decisions. And I remember going to one company and they're like, we've got 200 of these things and they're all different. We don't actually run fat in our staffing to do this. Like we don't have 30 people that can just go and figure out what their answer is to your specific question. So the idea of the international standards is to determine what one figure is that will suit everybody and make it easy for the companies to comply. And they are launching in the middle of next year effectively. And in Australia, we are going to bring them in in what they call a stage manner. The biggest companies will have to report. They start the year next July. And so it'll be FY25 when they have to report. And then the smaller companies have a couple of years more and even smaller a couple of years more to report against what those measures are, which initially are predominantly on the environmental side and the decarbonisation side, but will also include social. And we are now getting, I think, nature biodiversity standards and they will roll in behind. But there's a lot of thought going into how this is done. So with the nature standards, it's thought we don't want to get people distracted from properly implementing the first international sustainability standards. We need to fold them in behind. And the hope is that everyone will learn from the big companies as well. You'll have experts who are able to give you assurance that the numbers aren't being made up. You'll have ways of delivering the information as effectively and efficiently and consistently and reliably as possible. So everybody will be working together to get good outcomes and then they can feed into investment decisions and potentially other decisions as well. Okay, so let's have a look at the specifics. How many companies did you cover? Not Uh, you personally, but you and the volunteers. (laughs) Me and my 120 volunteers. Your minions. uh, Oh, do not call them minions. I think I'm (laughs) their minion. Uh, They attended 145 AGMs since the beginning of September. So these are the 30 June balancing companies. And we have eight more companies to go in December, but they're not 30 June. They're like 31 July or December. So the banks and the chemical companies are coming up. And so, yeah, that'll be over 150 for that. So we haven't got time to go through everything, but what are the highlights of the lowlights? <laughs> Who were the baddest of the worst? <laughs> oh, the most, the AGMs that stick most in my mind were ones you've probably discussed earlier, but the likes of Endeavour, where we had the major shareholder wanting a new director added to the board. And these are always interesting companies to evaluate because... Just before, before we go on, this is our alcohol and gambling, basically, we're talking about yes. with Endeavour, aren't we? Yeah, yeah Endeavour's... Vice, pu- vice. <laughs> pubs and booze, and the largest shareholder comes out of that business and you know, merged his business with the Woolworths business, and Bill Wavish was a Woolworths executive, and he felt that oh, the Matheson investment, you know, person driving that felt that Wavish would be a good addition because he's really unhappy with how Endeavour is going. The likes of Endeavour are running into increased taxes, increased concern about problem gambling, 
and they figuring out how to navigate that environment because you know if there were there were a lot of investors who wouldn't invest in the space because of the the gambling and the drinking then there are a bunch of people that are happy to invest in the space if there's minimum harm you know which way do you go and Matheson's thought was that Bill Wavish would be great he'd been at Woolworths at the start of the investment and the like but for us when we were interviewing Bill Wavish as so we decided how we could vote for him or against him one of our issues was that he'd been a director at Dick Smith and you might may or may not recall that Dick Smith came onto the market. Bill Wavish actually left before it went broke, but it did go broke sort of within the following year, full 11, 12 months after he left, but he'd been part of the float team. And the thing about a listed company and a board is they need to be set up that no matter who goes, the company is an ongoing entity. It needs to persist after you've been there. And while I do hear Bill comment was that I wasn't there when it went bad but still he was there in the lead up to it going bad and for us that calls into question whether we'd want him to be at Endeavour and so that one was interesting just because the struggle like do you follow one camp or the other ASA we get proxies from all sorts of people with all sorts of interests so we had some people that think Bill Wavish could walk on water. We had other people that are like still smarting from losing their Dick Smith Holdings funds. So trying to navigate that and interview and figure out what's best for the company because of the peculiar nature of a board where they work as you want them to be collegiate but challenging. And if you have a wholly disruptive force in the boardroom, then that can just make everybody's efforts worthless. You know, how do you balance that? Because you don't want them overly collegiate as the company dwindles, you want them to be challenging, preparing for the future, making the business sustainable. And sometimes there can be big questions like, do they adopt the new rules early because that's the right thing to do? And for them to have a 10-year business model, it is good to go early. Mm. Or do you milk it as long as you can? <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of the challenging meetings. In the end, Bill Wavish did not get appointed. So, we are probably waiting to see whether the Mathesons call an EGM, an extraordinary general meeting, and try and topple the current chair, which is where all their ire is now focused. So that was one interesting meeting. Another one was the Qantas meeting, uh, which went on for a very long time. And I think we're still in a holding pattern and what comes after. So they got a large strike, a uh, remuneration strike, which is where everybody basically takes out their frustration that their CEO was paid so much as he exited, well, over the 15 years he was there and as and he exited. And then selling those shares before and, he exited as well. Yeah. And then there's the question over that. That's one where, not wanting to sound too sanguine, but I don't think that's all completed yet. We've got the ACCC case about them selling tickets that you know, didn't exist effectively. There's a lot of cases to be worked through. There's still money on the table from Joyce, that CEO. I think I think it was eight to ten million. Again, a lot of money. Then there are the questions about, you know, the sale of those shares when the ACCC case, they should have been aware of it. Like should that he have been precluded from selling? And I think that almost needs everything else to work its way out for the rights and wrongs of that. And again, 
you know, a company, I think, and the executives sometimes have to have patience. So I understand it was all to do with financing properties because we were asked at the time about the sale before we knew anything else. And share price sort of really was harmed after that, you know, making him wait, perhaps even allowing him to take a loan again. You know, the thing was to buy a property, you know, there were other ways of getting that money which could have been maybe you change your rules like he can't because he's leaving, can take a loan out against holding half the value against all the shares or something like that. There are other things. Patience, I think, will be shown to have been the best way forward. And I think there's a lot of lot to come on that one as well. Just mm. how, how does it wrap up? What is the final accounting on that? Are there any findings that will come against different individuals? And that's the hardest thing about the market is because if you just leave all your shares in the bottom drawer and wait for things to come through, you're probably going to lose your money. At sometimes you have to say with what I know now, do I sell or have that unknown there and I just take into account it in my mental assessment of the risk. But this sort of thing, it has to work through. The court cases have to work through. Then people can find out exactly who knew what, when and how impactful it was and do the maths. But that is often a frustrating place to be because that behavior is like the legal minimum, whereas we want the best practice. So, you know, I would counsel patients in that sort of situation, like, hmm, this looks pretty picky. Perhaps we should do something else rather than allow this sale right this moment. We'll get back to the show right after this brief message. Why am I buying, holding or selling a share? If you can't answer that basic question, then you don't have a plan. The best investors are ruthless in executing their plans. I've been fortunate to meet many great investors on the podcast. Tony Kynaston is one of the best. He has a clear and systematic approach to investing that is honest, sensible and methodical. It's called QAV, quality at value. QAV now offer an excellent light plan for only $29 per month. You can follow their buy and sell recommendations and learn the ropes. And the first month is free using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Go to qavpodcast.com.au to sign up. That's qavpodcast.com.au using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Past performance is not a guarantee of future returns. Please read the QAV FSG and consult a financial professional before investing. I receive a small commission for services I recommend and I only recommend services I use myself. So, top marks in the class went to Qualitas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, that, who, are, who are Qualitas? Uh, QAL, Funds Q- Management and Direct Lending on Commercial Real Estate. Yeah, they're hmm. a company that reached out to our Victorian company monitors and asked for an assessment. So, do you find this is something that happens often with companies that they do reach out to find feedback prior to the AGM or just to, what are they doing? They're just looking for, are they doing the right thing? Yeah, we find that a lot of companies are interested in what is happening for their retail shareholders. And that's where the Australian Shareholders Association is kind of unique because not many people attend AGMs. So if somebody wants to know what retail shareholders are thinking, they will say, okay, we need to pay attention. Maybe we'll do a function, but also let's check in with the Australian Shareholders Association, invite the company monitor to come and talk to us about what's happening and if they've got any concerns. So I see that as a positive from the company. It is. Well, it sounds preemptive and yeah, yeah, yeah and, and mature. And the other thing about retail shareholders is they are just such a broad church. So one of the things we do try and do is rather than say, "Hey, they all look like this and they all have this opinion," we'll be saying, "Well, on the one hand, 
we have a lot of people who are supportive of this, but we also have complainants. So we can kind of help a company understand that there's going to be different views and they can't manage to be, they can't meet everybody's demands, Mm. but hopefully the general behaviour is good. And one of the things we'd encourage is them to disclose. So you might not please everybody with your nil dividend plan because you want to be a growth stock and maybe you think in the future you might list elsewhere, like the US where dividends aren't really a thing. But if you're doing that, you need to be really clear. So there's two parts of this relationship. You figure out what you are, you tell people what that you are, and then the shareholders can go, well, that doesn't fit with my interest there's another 1,900 companies and I'll look elsewhere or they'll say, yeah, this really works for me. That's what I'm after. So, yeah, we have a lot of people reach out, but we have trouble meeting all the requests and we're trying to figure out better ways to do that. So Qualitas was one. In the end, we didn't have any proxies, but we didn't advertise the engagement. But one of the things I loved about their results is I had never seen a 100% support for a director election before. So their two directors were elected with 100% votes and sometimes that's a rounding error, but this was actually nil, nil votes against 100% for. So they are obviously doing a lot of things right, even though, have to bring it back to share price, even though the share price has sort of dabbled around the $2 to $2.80 and it's sort of midway between. So it's not like it's shooting lights out and Tim bagger, but it's still going. It's engaging. It's reaching out. I'll give them a bouquet for that one. The <laughs> ASA bouquet. <laughs> As opposed to the brickbats for other companies that we've yeah, uh, mentioned. Yeah, for not holding a hybrid meeting. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Why are you happy not to talk about strikes? One of the issues with the remuneration reporting is it's just so complex. And that means that you almost have to obsess with the detail, like how much are people getting, what happens here. And what we really want is the directors to have said how much is too much. You know, we understand at the moment that they're worried about poaching from other employers because in that level of the market, you know, mining companies are poaching each other's staff. We've seen, you know, AMPs, CEOs, X, A and Z, although I understand They were happy because they had someone who basically you might have four people running for the top role and you want them to continue to grow. So it's not like, oh, my God, you shouldn't have poached that person. But, yeah, we have all that poaching. We want that overarching use of the framework to build a good culture and good business. But the nitty-gritty detail is sometimes really important to figure out how that works and if it makes sense. And that means that sometimes when we write our voting intention reports, there's just so much on remuneration and people are a bit like, I'm happy or I'm sad. They don't want that much detail. They get sick of the obsession of the remuneration strikes. So this year we've got 18 strikes, which is more than we had for the entire year last year for ASA monitored companies. So it's a bit of a harsher year. And so here even, I am talking about it now. Uh, but and even so, if you go through to the second strike and the, then there's a board spill, that can be a problem as well because suddenly that is really leaving things all up in the air. It's like throwing all your balls up in the air and starting again. Yes, indeed. And was interested in NRW Holdings, code NWH, ASX code. It had a second strike, but it had like a 95% against vote on the spill 
because as you say, it's a bit like 52-card pickup. You just start again. The practicalities of that spill meeting, if a company is egregiously abusing their powers, I think that institutional shareholders and ourselves, we would be happy to vote directors out. One of the things with those spill meetings, though, is you have the spill meeting at the AGM and then the company has, I think it's 90 days, maybe it's 60. They have a period to hold the next, the spill meeting where you get to vote. I think that if you're really unhappy, you should vote against the directors at the actual meeting. So don't wait for the off chance of a spill. If you're frustrated, you vote against the directors who are up for election now. And admittedly, most companies, that'll be a third of the directors. But that also focuses the mind because you almost need the board to work to build its replacement itself. And, you know, Qantas is a good example of how that played out where we basically, up to the sale of Joyce's holdings, things were okay. Then it was negative news, negative news, which really built up to the AGM, you know, a month before chairs saying, oh, no, I'm not going to go. Really need the board to say, hey, we're responsible for this being a renewing entity. Usually the chair has to promise to go and that's up to him. You keep the pressure on and it's verbal pressure, it's media pressure. So none of this voting stuff. Had he said he wasn't up for a vote as well. So you would vote against the people at the meeting and then if you wanted the chair to go, you would actually start using your powers to call a meeting or to add them to the next AGM rather than the spill because the analogy about you know throwing things in the air and just picking them up is really good because if everybody's spilled, companies have to have three directors. So whoever's got the least worst votes form the board <laughs> and then they get to appoint the new people. And in the period up to the spill, they've been trying to manage the spill. So I think that distracts them from running the company. So for that reason, it's very unlikely anyone uses a spill except as a like a Trojan horse where they've already got 50, you know, they might have a large holding, they want to get rid of the board, put in their own people so they hold the spill meeting and I think Cromwell property is an example of that where in between EGMs and spills and the like, they restructured the entire board but they had an idea of where they wanted to take that. Mm. Okay, listeners, so you know this is leading up to giving proxies to the shareholders association. <laughs> so don't throw away your proxy. When you get the email saying, you know, there's going to be an AGM and you've got a proxy and you've got a vote, you don't have to do all this hard work and think about it. You can go to Fiona and the shareholders association to hand over your proxy. And I'd also say that if you do know how you want to vote, directed proxies, like when you give a proxy to the ASA, we can't change the directed proxies. So we'll get some that are for and some that are against. They actually get counted as that. But what that does, if it's under Australian shareholders, is gives the company an idea that this holding is like a retail, smaller shareholding. And I know that the Coca-Cola scheme meeting, they had a small number against votes. They came to us and asked why. And we've had surveys where our people basically look like the whole population of shareholders. So we can usually then engage and find out why you're not voting. For a scheme meeting, it's so often... So even for a small number of votes, that can be taken into account by companies? Well, because it's very hard to 
you know, to know where they're coming from. And- to know where they're coming from. And also retail shareholders don't like it when those firms ring up and say, how are you going to vote at this meeting? So they feel pressured. So you don't necessarily have access. You could say, how are you going to vote? And if you say no on the phone, they could say, oh, why? Because they want to understand. But people in their shareholding role feel uncomfortable with that. Whereas if you go to the association, you know, we're much more sanguine about saying there are a number of people that feel like good companies are being taken off the market and they had wanted that as part of their portfolio. And, you know, they're basically peeved with this timing decision being taken away from them. So we can synthesise that. So that's why I always say it's not just if you don't know how you vote, want to vote or, you know, can't be bothered reading the documents. But you can direct it. Um, you, you can, yeah. If you do know, you can... Mm can direct it and then that might give us additional information. So, you know, some of them will have 95% will be open, so our voting intention determines the vote, and other ones will have, you know, 15% against or 15% for, and it's not necessarily the contentious ones where that crops up either because when they're contentious, there usually is a broad opinion and our people have the same broad opinions. But there are other oddities where, you know, they really take a set against a director because of the way they're conducting themselves in that company and another, or really supportive of an executive, or really supportive of pay, or really against it. All that adds to the information that both we have and the company has. Fiona, thanks very much for joining me today. Lovely to talk with you, Phil. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.